This week, I speak with the lovely Miss Gabriela Hermosa. Gabriela Hermosa is a trans woman who is a public speaker, mentor, counselor, and even a human rights advocate. She loves to talk about herself, amongst other things, and admits that she's been called Gabin Gabby. Our talk went on for what seemed like forever, so I've decided to divide our talk into three parts. Gabriela is a wonderful resource for crossdressers, trans people, and anyone wishing to learn more about gender. You'll learn about her life and the pain and struggle she endured, and still enduring, to make her the woman she is today. This is the 14th episode of the Crossdress podcast, and the first part of my talk with Gabriela Hermosa, aka Gabin Gabby. Y'all ready for this? Yes, 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 we haven't left Facebook and Twitter yet, so hit the podcast up at Crossyas. That's spelled C R O S S Y A A S. Also, people have reached out to the podcast and asked if they can email questions or if they can contact the podcast to share their story, or even offer feedback for the podcast. And the answer is yes, you can reach out to the Crossyas podcast via email, crossyaspodcast at gmail.com. That's C-R-O-S-S-Y-A-A-S podcast at gmail.com. Happy April. A quarter of the year has come and gone. Can you believe it? And crap, I've made 14 episodes. Sheesh, I can't believe it. This past March 31st was the International Trans Day of Visibility, which according to Wikipedia is an annual day that is dedicated to celebrating transgender people and raising awareness of discrimination faced by transgender people worldwide, as well as a celebration of their contributions to society. So hey, trans people of the world, the Cross Yas podcast celebrates you and recognizes you. So go on with your bad selves. Trans men and women are everywhere and they are incredible. I believe they deserve more than just a day of celebration. So here's an idea. How about instead of spending only one day where we recognize their visibility, we spend every day treating trans people like regular human beings and with love and affection because, well, they deserve it. Yeah, just one day is great, but it's just a start. So let's do more, right? Also, a big point of contention that I was hearing was where do crossdressers fit in? For those who solely identify as crossdressers, do we get to join in on the Trans Day of Visibility celebration? Many say no, some of us say yes. And I, I could care less because, well, I'm here visible for others to hear me. So if you want to recognize me as that, well, cool. If not, well, I'm still here and I don't need to be placed in a category, but day is meant for others and I don't want to be selfish and take that away from them. So this is a day for all of you wonderful trans people out there. But whatever side you're on, can we all agree that crossdressers are still people? No need to name call, badger, or come down against crossdressers for not being considered trans. I get that. But I was on Facebook during Trans Day of Visibility, and goodness, the hatred towards crossdressers? Quite vile. Yeah, I know Facebook is the worst. It's so bad. You want an echo chamber for your own thoughts and beliefs? Look no further than Facebook. Remember when you could just post pictures of you and your friends on Facebook and that was it? No politics, no bullshit, just a place to share with what's new with you and you can catch up on other people in their lives. Now Facebook has become, at least what I think, people venting about what's wrong with the world and projecting their own hate towards masses. Twitter is worse. Don't even get me started with Twitter. I'll have a future episode on the podcast about social media as it relates to cross-dressing. But for this episode, I think many people on Facebook were saying cross-dressers don't deserve to be part of the trans day of visibility because, well, they're not trans. Which is fine. A lot of cross-dressers don't identify as trans. But dang, can everyone just chill with the hate? I mean, everyone wants to be angry for the sake of being angry, and social media sites like Facebook can help pile on the anger. But kind of fun is that? Like, Hello world, here's a song that we're singing. Come on, 
I don't condone hate for anyone, but I can understand, again, not condone, some of the angry arguments as to why cross-dressers don't fit in with the LGBTQ community. They just dress up as the opposite sex, they can go back to being whatever they were before, they're all just about clothes, etc. Look, I think cross-dressers beginning in their journey are still searching for where they are in the gender spectrum, and some cross-dressers actually are transgender. But we use the word transgender here as an umbrella term. Cross-dressers, if you believe you're in the trans part of the T and the LGBTQ, then cool. If you don't want to, then that's fine too. But that's the beauty of the LGBTQ community. Those within the LGBTQ community are similar to cross-dressers in that some of them feel marginalized by society. We all just want to fit in and be accepted. No need to hate on someone wishing to be accepted. Sure, there's trolls out there who pretend to wear women's clothes or make fun of those that do. Those people suck. Those terrible people just take away from the actual people who are struggling with gender dysphoria. Fuck those people. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, and fuck you, I'm out. I mean, the people actually struggling with their own identities, the ones who go day to day who feel out of place because they don't know if their gender matches their own sex. Listen to those people. Hear them out. They have a story to tell. They're the ones who the Trans Day of Visibility are for. If they're cross-dressers or they're uncertain about what they are, they've got a story worth listening to. This, you're not part of us, so get out of here mentality nonsense needs to stop. We all have something to offer, so hear us out. You might learn something. Like this podcast. Speaking of learning, let's get to the... Yes! ...of the week. So quick question. Who here loves sex? Sex! What's so unappealing about hearing your elderly father talk about sex? I had sex! For those in heterosexual relationships, and for those who don't wish to make babies, you use birth control or contraceptives. Or at least I hope you do. I feel that the woman has always retained the responsibility to take the initiative on birth control. But there's always been side effects that have dissuaded women from using it. There's many ways a woman can prevent pregnancy. The famous one that comes to mind is the pill. Highly effective, but of course, only if used perfectly. The Planned Parenthood website suggests it's about 99% effective with perfect use, but more like 91%, they say. It does come with all sorts of adverse effects, ranging from mood changes and weight gain to amenorrhea, also known as a lack of periods. Then there's the intrauterine device, aka IUD, that is long-term and stays in a woman's uterus and is about 99% effective because you can't forget to take it and you can't use it incorrectly, like say a condom. However, side effects for the IUD include pelvic pain, spotting, and increased risk for ovarian cysts. Then there's the vaginal rings, the diaphragm, and contraceptive injections like Depo-Provera, aka Depo, that also come with similar side effects. But as you can see, there's lots of options for women, but also lots of side effects. As for men, well, the main contraceptive I use when I'm not trying to have babies is cargo shorts and Crocs. (laughs) Especially Crocs with socks on. Yeah, my girlfriend loves that. Because no one will have sex with me then. Just kidding. Everyone still wants to have sex with me. Just go. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) But seriously. The main male contraceptive many men use to prevent unwanted pregnancies are condoms, vasectomies, and abstinence, I guess. Or as my girlfriend likes, the pull-out method. And those aren't... (laughs) And even those aren't 100% effective. (laughs) Not really fair, right? Where's the quality in that? Am I right, ladies? Well, I recently read online and also in the news, there's promising studies for other forms of male contraceptives in the use of topical gels and oral contraceptives. For a quick science refresher on how contraceptives work, let's talk about pregnancy and hormones. Contraceptives, aka birth control, are things we do or things we take to prevent pregnancy. According to the Planned Parenthood website, 
Which, first of all, can we give a quick shout out to Planned Parenthood, who, by the way, does way more than abortions. They provide medical care, STD, STI treatment, and LGBTQ care. And, of course, birth control options. Yes, they do provide abortions, but don't ignore the rest that Planned Parenthood does. Like, you know, prevent babies in the first place with education and contraceptives. Whatever side you're on in the abortion debate, can we all just agree that Planned Parenthood does plenty for the community by providing steps to take so we don't have women requiring abortion if they choose to? So thanks, Planned Parenthood. Well, anyways, according to the Planned Parenthood website, the oral contraceptive, like aka the pill, works by stopping sperm from joining with an egg. This is also known as fertilization. How does it do that exactly? Well, with hormones. The pill contains hormones, specifically either progestin and estrogen, or just progestin, which helps to prevent ovulation. No ovulation means there's no egg for sperm to fertilize, so pregnancy can't occur. The hormones in the pill also help to thicken the mucus on the cervix, which blocks sperm so it can't swim to an egg, which acts kind of like a sticky security guard. Pretty cool, right? Well, sure, till you realize the side effects some women experience with the hormones while on the pill. These side effects typically go away after two to three months as your body gets used to it, says the Planned Parenthood website, but there are also more serious side effects, which are rare, but do occur, like blood clots and pulmonary embolism, which are blood clots in the lungs. But again, why don't men get to join in on all the contraceptive fun? Well, enter the Center for Male Contraceptives and Development team. The Center for Male Contraceptive and Development have reported promising results in the Nesterone Transdermal and Testosterone Gels, aka Nes Plus T. It's still early in their development, but results have shown a decrease in sperm regeneration with these types of medications in men. In one study published in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism by the National Institute of Health, a combination of daily NES plus T gels suppressed sperm concentration to 1 million per ml or less in 88.5% of men with minimal adverse effects. So yes, kill those scrotum swimmers, am I right? Here at the Cross Yas podcast, we support safe sex habits and gender equality. This also means preventing unwanted pregnancies in a safe manner by both sexes. For years, women have had to endure the side effects of preventing pregnancy, but now it's up to you men to handle the load, if you will. Oh, that's nasty. I've always felt some revolutionary change was needed in the birth control department. Hell, any change really. It's unfortunate that there aren't more options available for men with regards to contraceptive use, but maybe with more studies like these, men will soon have this gel or other oral contraceptives to use instead of vasectomies and condoms. And of course, cargo of shorts and Crocs. Will men take it or will men pay for it? Well, that's another story. But I'm sure the mom and dad with three to five kids is probably thinking, you know what? I'll try it. So this week, we say yes to male contraceptives because we need more options. And because I like wearing cargo shorts and Crocs. And that was the... Yes! Of the week. In this episode of the podcast, I had the pleasure of talking to Gabriella Hermosa. No need to roll the R's in the last name is what she told me. I reached out to her after finding her website, My CD Life, while researching information about purging for my purging episode in episode 12. Lots of good information on that site for crossdressers and transgender people. In my talk with her, she talks about being her authentic self and what that means to her. She says she created the website initially with the intention to make the CD and it stand for My Crossdressing Life, but it slowly evolved into a new meaning called My Cool Diverse Life. We ended up talking for what seemed like forever as I found myself captivated by everything she had to say about her journey that started off as what she thought was just crossdressing, but became much more than that. I'm sure you'll find our talk, as well as Gabriella, quite fascinating as I can't wait to hear what you think. I'm thinking of splitting our conversation into three, maybe even four episodes. I'll see. 
but I know you're going to enjoy this talk as much as I did. She reveals so much about her life, like her bout with suicide, her battle with body hair, and even the love and loss of her marriage with her ex-wife, whom she was married to for 20 plus years. All of which while discovering who Gabriella is. Lots of emotion in this episode, and she was able to open enough about herself that maybe you can even relate to what she has to say. So enough yapping from me, here's part one of my talk with Gabriella Hermosa. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, just want to talk about Anchor real quick. You know how I love Anchor so much. They've helped me so much with this podcast. It's free, and they have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your own phone or computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Really, guys, it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So go ahead and go to it. It's great. Well, welcome. Tell us about yourself. Like I told you earlier, I saw your uh, website, mycdlife.com. It originally meant one thing, and then I quietly rebranded it in 2013 to mean something a little different that fit a little better, and I'll get more into that as I tell you about myself. My name is Gabrielle Cassandra Hermosa. You don't have to roll the R's when you say my last name, but it does sound cooler when you do. I'm a public speaker counselor, mentor, occasional writer, proud transgender woman, and human rights advocate. I live in Rochester, New York. I lived here most of my life. Born in 1970 in a hospital in Batavia, New York. Wow. And when I was born, I was born perfect, almost. I knew I it. All, yeah, almost. <laughs> a little, one little thing was wrong. Unfortunately, the doctors looked between my legs and told my parents, congratulations, you have a bouncing baby boy. Wah, 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 wah. Even so, for a brief period of time, my life was perfect. And I remember like I was very young when I noticed the difference between boys and girls, about three years old. And I didn't understand like physical and anatomical differences at the time, but I knew that what I saw in the girls is more like how I felt about myself. That's how I wanted to be. And I, I didn't understand why I wasn't allowed to be. I knew like even at the age of three, I knew like I better keep this to myself. It wouldn't go well, if I, if people were to find out about this. So mm-hmm. I knew that like my naive way of thinking of it at the time was like, how come little boys aren't, aren't allowed to be like little girls? So that's just kind of how I thought about it. And I knew that like I was drawn to women's clothes and I always admired, you know, adult women with painted faces and these things called go-go boots. I don't know if you're familiar with go-go boots. Uh, yeah, I know go-go boots. <laughs> <laughs> so for the listeners, if, if you're not familiar with Go-Go Boots, but you are a Star Trek fan, just think of Lieutenant Uhura. She has Starfleet issue Go-Go Boots. Mm-hmm. Live long and prosper. Yeah, sorry, sci-fi nerd here. I would see, you know, like as, as a kid, I would sneak into my mom's closet. Like she didn't have enough room in her closet uh, in, her, in her bedroom when we lived in a small house in Batavia. So she kept a lot of her stuff in my uh, walk-in closet, which... I didn't need, so she used it, and I would sneak in there and try on her clothes. It made me feel really good. I didn't know, it's like, why do I need to feel feminine? I just knew that I loved the way I felt when I did that. Right. You know, nothing fit really good, but I did the best I could with what I had to work with. And I would do this as frequently as possible whenever there was opportunity, which, you know, was few and far between, but I was very careful. Don't get caught. Don't get caught doing this. That would be bad. Mm -hmm. I remember, let's see, at the age of 12, we're going to jump now to 1983, in fact, 
let's hit a specific day. How about March 12th, 1983? It was a Saturday. Wow. Big day in my life. Yeah, because it was the first time my parents had gone out and I was not going to get a babysitter. So I got to be home without a babysitter for the first time. I waited for my parents to go out and of course went through my mom's closet, found a skirt that kind of fit pretty good and I put that on and I just was, you know, walking around doing my thing, enjoying myself, feeling feminine and free and really, really, really enjoying the moment. And that would have been a really beautiful evening except for the fact my parents got home early and came in the house and I didn't hear any of this. Long story short, there I was standing in my mom's skirt in a room and there's my mom asking me what I was doing and... Uh How do we pause this? How do we stop and rewind and change before they get home? Well, that was not an option, unfortunately. So at the age of 12, I was like really socially awkward. You know, I didn't fit in. You know, I have undiagnosed Asperger's that wasn't diagnosed well into my adult years. Mm. Uh, Socially very awkward, didn't have very good social skills. And so I was frequently picked on, made fun of, pushed around, humiliated, beat up, bullied as, as a child. But being busted by my mom at the age of 12, wearing her skirt, that was the single most traumatic event of my youth. You know, nobody was supposed to find out about this. This was my thing. I was very private about it and very careful. Now somebody knew. And I could not deal with that. And she had a quote unquote, had a talk with me about what <laughs> I had done. You know, and it's like, have you ever done this before? Oh, no, 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 no. It's my first time. I swear. You know, of course, I had been doing that every time I had an opportunity, but I was terrified. I was like, no, I did this terrible thing. What, what's going to happen to me now? And now she knows and nobody's supposed to know. And I, I couldn't deal with it. I wanted to die. I, it was like the first time I had suicidal thoughts was that that mm. evening. And I just wanted to go away. And I nobody's supposed to know about this. So that day marked the downward spiral into darkness, self-loathing, and self-hatred that plagued my teenage years. As a teenager, I didn't have an outlet for feeling feminine because I wasn't about to wear mom's clothes again, not after getting the talk and being humiliated like that. I knew better now, um, you know, as, as, as much as I didn't understand why do I need to feel feminine and what's wrong with me. I was raised in a very religious house, very strict Catholic upbringing, and I remember for a while, I literally thought, am I, am I possessed? Probably sounds weird and ridiculous. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I'm smiling as I say it, but I didn't know what was going on. Why do I do this? Why do I feel the need to do this? As as humiliated as I was, my mom busted me when I was 12. I knew deep down inside, I liked doing that. It's a thing that I really, really liked. And you know, my mom knew, and then I hated myself and I hated her for knowing. In my teenage years, it was very complicated. You know, the hormones are raging and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got, yeah, I got no outlet for this. And um, so I tried to live vicariously through girls that I dated in school. Mm-hmm. I tried to get them to be the way I wanted to be, if only I was allowed to be the way I wanted to be. And so here's the deal. It was like a controlling and manipulative behavior on my part. And I had no self-esteem, very low self-esteem, no self-esteem. And I'm being controlling and manipulative of these young women. So it Mm. usually wouldn't take too long for them to wise up and to dump me. And when they did, it wasn't just like, you know, losing a girlfriend, losing a lover, losing a way of life. It was like my only sense of femininity being ripped right out from underneath me. Of course, it was never mine to begin with. And it was, you know, left me with my masculine self, which I hated. I hated. I'm going to jump ahead a few more years. So... In 1989, I was a senior in high school. In April of 1989, after a really difficult breakup, probably at the time, definitely the most beautiful uh, girl I had dated. She was beautiful. I I loved her so much. 
And uh, of course, you know, I had been living vicariously through her and being manipulative and controlling and that didn't work. So she dumped me and I couldn't, couldn't do this anymore. So I didn't understand who and what I was. I didn't understand what was going on inside me. And I thought I was the only person in the world who was like this. And so I, I, I was in too much pain. I was, I didn't get anything. So I like, this is it. I'm done. I'm, I'm getting off the bus. I, um, I'd been planning for this for a little while. I, I got uh, sleeping pills. I went out and got a bunch of sleeping pills and I took 80 Sominex sleeping pills on a Tuesday afternoon in the month of April, 1989. And I laid in my bed waiting to drop magically to sleep that I wouldn't wake up from. I remember so much about that Tuesday afternoon in April 1989. I remember the sun shining in my room that afternoon. Kind of felt like someone is looking in on me, um, the way the sun is shining in on me. I remember hearing my family speak downstairs. I remember hearing them talking, uh, birds chirping outside. Um, mostly what I remember is I wasn't falling asleep. I was still awake. You know, the drugs were kicking in. felt uncomfortable. It was a really ugly feeling, the, the way the sleeping pills were you know, because it took 80 of them. And yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I started to feel fatigued. I did feel fatigued, but I wasn't falling asleep. It wasn't like in TV and movies where people just peacefully fall asleep. And I felt my body start starting to shut down and my, my extremities, my legs and hands started to feel weird. So and there's the sun shining in on me looking at me and I felt like I mean, I wasn't delusional or anything, but it felt like the, the sun looking in on me. I really felt like someone was looking in on me really, really sad about what I had done. And I didn't hear any audible voices speaking to me, but I just looked out at that sun looking in on me like, like so sad. And I felt like someone was trying to say, what are you doing here? What have you done? Right. You're not supposed to die here today. Don't do this. There's something more for you. And so I had second thoughts after a while and I couldn't walk anymore. I, I plopped off my bed, crawled down the stairs, told my parents what I'd done. They rushed me to a nearby hospital and emergency and they stuck a tube up my nose and down my throat and they pumped my stomach and I got really lucky because they were able to get enough of the toxins out of my system there was no permanent damage done but that bought me a four-month stay in a psychiatric hospital in New Canaan Connecticut it's called Silver Hill and I, I believe they're still there today when I was there I I didn't want anyone you know I didn't I didn't understand myself okay this is 1989 I'm 18 at the time. I'm going to, I don't know, I, I can only guess at how uh, old listeners of this will be. You being 30, I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, do you remember a time in life where there was no free flow of information and easy access? So you oh, do, yeah. okay, okay. It was like 95, 96 when the internet was really kicking it, and then like yep. 8, 97, 98, yeah. it was like Napster hit and whatnot, and then it wasn't till, really it wasn't till like 2004. 2004 when facebook first came on and google and there was myspace all around 2003 and like you still had to go to the library in 2002 to look at books <laughs> yeah <laughs> like stone age but i like to paint that picture for people because so many i mean i in my public speaking work it's not uncommon in fact i was just at a high school was it last week or two weeks ago I'm mm -hmm. sorry, I'm like in a time warp. So I was at one of the local high schools talking to students and I like to paint that picture and, and let them know. It's like, it's not like I could figure myself out by looking anything up. I believed I was the only right. person on the planet who was like this. And I better mm -hmm. not let anybody know, even though my mom knew and that really messed me up. So I didn't want them to know the psychiatric hospital. I didn't want them to know just how quote unquote messed up I really was. 
And at the same time, I didn't want them like trying to fix that part of me or take it away is as embarrassed as I was about it and humiliated. And I didn't want them to like take it away. It was really, it was kind of, I didn't understand it. I just knew that that's how I felt. So, you know, I let them think I'm a suicidal teenage, you know, quote unquote boy who Mm -hmm. can't deal with breakups. And so I'm suicidal about that. And I resisted the treatment at first and that didn't go well for me. So I kind of like, all right, how do I get out of here? Let me, let me figure out what they need to see. Let me figure that out and I'll start giving them that. And I did, and it worked. And it uh, took a few months. I got a discharge date put on the calendar. They bought my little, I'm getting better, and I'm conforming. Yay. Yeah, of course, yeah. I'm a a good little model citizen now. No trouble. I'm going to be obedient. And I'll never hurt myself again because I know the wrongs of my ways. Wink, wink. And they (laughs) bought it. They really, I mean, I should not have been able to fool them, but they bought it and got a discharge date put on the calendar. September 1989, I'm released back to my family. They welcome me home. All my friends and family welcome me home. Yay, there's my little homecoming. And uh, then everyone just kind of disappeared. I had just graduated at that point and actually graduated while I was in the psychiatric hospital. And and a lot of my friends had to go back to school, back to high school. Some were going off to college. A bunch of them, I shouldn't say a bunch, some of them made it very clear to me they didn't want me around in their life anymore. It, it, It freaked them out that I tried to harm myself. It made them very uncomfortable. Uh, they didn't want me around anymore. So all my friends are gone and it left me with my masculine self, which I hated and nobody else. And so I took it out of my family. That mm. didn't go so well. They yeah. showed me the door. I got kicked out at 18. I had to get a job and figure out how to support myself. They, they helped me out. You know, they helped me find an apartment and some secondhand furniture. They're helpful about the whole process. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it was scary, you know, and so I had a, my own place and I was you know, living well below the poverty level at that point. So it wasn't like, go back and visit my parents a lot. Hi, mom. Hi, dad. Oh, yeah. that smells good. What's for dinner? You know, You're that right, type right. of thing. I did what I needed, needed to do to survive. Here's the deal, though. I had more freedom on my hands. I could actually explore my, um, yeah, learn my about needs. Yourself. Feel, yeah, like my needs to feel feminine and what we now call cross-dressing. Like, what's this all about? Again, this is still mm-hmm. before the internet or anything. So I'm, you know, I'm dating girls again, wash, rinse, repeat, uh, just the cycle kept repeating. But what would happen is like girls would spend the night over and sometimes they'd forget something or maybe sometimes I would just, I don't know, just help one of their uh, garments kind of find its way into my little stash. And, uh, you know, so (laughs) I was building building up my wardrobe little by little and I love the freedom, but there was a lot of shame involved because at this point in my life, it was very arousing to, to put on girl clothes, so to speak. It was very arousing, and it turned into a, a thing that I would do, you know, for sexual gratification. And right. it would kind of, like, disconnect that from me. It's like, I didn't want to think about that. It's just like, okay, it's a, it's a weird fetish that I have. And I was vaguely aware of other fetishes at the time. I'm like, well, whatever. It's just there's fetishes, and people have fetishes, whatever. It's just, it's just that. I just won't think of it as anything else. At the same time, I was really into gaming, and I'd always played the girl characters and all the video games I was playing. And yeah, <laughs> loved, loved. I, you know, of course, I still do that to this day. Still, still a gamer. I just don't have as much time for it. But um, once a gamer, always a gamer in my book. Right. In 1991, I hooked up with an older woman. We've actually been friends for a while. She was beautiful, a little bit older than me. She was about 11, let's call it 12 years older than me. So I'm 20, she's 32, and drop-dead gorgeous and more mature than the other girls that I had been dating. We'd both just gone through breakups, and we were friends. We turned to each other, and it turned into a rebound relationship. And you know how those go. Those are 
they're yeah. helpful, but they serve a purpose, but they're always temporary. Here's the thing, though. Like, we got to know each other pretty good and dating, and she saw the scars on me. I talk about the suicide attempt that almost succeeded, mm-hmm. which has taken the sleeping pills, but I was a cutter right. before then, and I had scars uh-huh. all over my arms, and she Not saw that. the scars, and... Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. She made me tell her why I had scars on my arms, which I explained. Yes, I was suicidal many years ago. And she wasn't put off by it. She did not make me feel like a freak for trying to hurt myself. So that Yay. was awesome. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. some people, if the word did get out and where I was working, some people were saying really bad things about me behind my back, calling me crazy and psycho because I tried to kill myself. And that was very hurtful. You know, it was still like a, I was working in retail and, it, you know, high school. Yeah. You know, the whole high school culture. Well, yeah. when I was right. working in retail in the early 90s, you know, late, uh, 1989 through 94, it was very much like a high school atmosphere, but worse mm-hmm. because these are like pseudo adults, I guess, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. age range ranged all over the place. But it was like brutal, I thought. And people were kind of mean to me about things that they had heard and rumors and things. So... She wasn't put off by that. I felt safe with her. Like when this quote unquote rebound relationship was over, I didn't feel like she was going to play head games with me or anything like that. I remember she spent the night over at my, my apartment one time. She asked her clothes with her and she had the playful look on her face. And she said, so um, why don't you try on one of my mini skirts for me? Ooh. I'm like, yeah, like, like she's going to twist my arm for that. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I took her skirt and went in the closet and closet. I get dressed in the closet. I went in the bathroom. In the oh, right. Closet, nice. so yeah. Went in the bathroom, put it on. And I'm like, wow, this is the first time someone's going to see me doing this on purpose. I was nervous. Um, walk out of the bathroom, wearing a skirt. And she's sitting on my love seat, smiling ear to ear. And I, I went over and sat in her lap. And it uh-huh. turned into this really cool, playful moment. I'm like, wow. She Jeez. knows about my suicidal history. She asked <laughs> me to wear her freaking mini skirt. I think we got something here, right? Yeah. There's a, there's something there, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, in 1995, four years later, I made her my wife. Oh, wow. Got married in 95. <laughs> and again, for me, this is still pre-internet. I did not have access to the internet until 96. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I still did not know what was going on inside me. And I believed, I believed deep down, I believed getting married to this gorgeous woman and soaking up all her femininity, because that's all I needed. I just needed to yeah. soak up someone's femininity. If I could do that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't need to feel feminine myself. Right. Um, so, of course, that's not how it worked. Getting married nope. did not cure me, quote-unquote nope. cure me, because it wasn't a thing I did. It's part of who I am, something I did yeah. not understand or learn later. Because when I was growing up, you know, I grew up in a world where we still lived in caves, and mm-hmm. I had to dodge the dinosaurs and, you know, it was a whole different <laughs> world back then, pre-internet. You know, I, I joke. It really course, was, yeah. It really does. It really feels like I grew up in the Stone Ages. Looking back at those days, it was so Flintstones, but not as cool. So <laughs> as we got married, you know, and I, I kept that a secret from her because I thought it would go away. And of course, secrets have a way of coming out later on. The internet happened. I'm going online trying to figure out who and what I am. What does this mean? And, you know, this thing I always feel the need to do. And it was um, after many years, it was after 13 years of marriage. So now we're in 2008. Mm -hmm. And I thought I understood myself well enough to consider myself a cross-dresser. I resisted that. If I didn't want to be a cross-dresser, I I was just getting comfortable with the fact, you know, the quote-unquote fact that I had 
like a fetish. And, and it was right. a thing that was arousing to me, even though, you know, it was something that over time I was doing more and more just because I wanted to, and I like to feel feminine and there wasn't always uh, masturbation involved, but in my mind, it was just easier. Like, no, 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 I'm not a crossdresser. It's just a fetish. And there's all kinds of crazy weird fetishes. This isn't so bad compared to you know things like golden showers and scats. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> do not, do not Google that at work. That is and yeah. not safe for work. Or right. if you hate your job, yes, do Google that at work <laughs> and you will be promptly removed. You're welcome. Um, so like my fetish, quote unquote, fetish ain't so bad, right? Uh, compared to other things. And when I came out to her as a crossdresser in 2008, she was actually really supportive, really cool about it. And uh, you know, I was very cautious about the way I came out and everything. And so that was amazing. And I was so grateful that she was so understanding and so cool and so supportive. She went out, got me some clothes that actually fit. I shaved off that beard that I had had for 15 years to try and look all manly and masculine the way I'm supposed to. You know, I, I got all bulky and I got all muscular and everything. I did everything I could possibly do to hide my effeminate natural state from the world because I got really picked on and pushed around a lot for that. I remember to go back to high school a little bit at a school dance girlfriend I was dating in my junior year. She was really embarrassed when I took her to school dance because are you ready for this? She was really embarrassed because she said, I dance like a girl. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. Go fit. And the thing is like, I wasn't trying to, and I was very embarrassed about that. I didn't know that I was dancing like a girl. I just, I was dancing and that's how I danced and great. Now I dance like a girl and it embarrassed her, which also embarrassed me. I'm like, crap, what are other people thinking about me? So I, I just right. learned to like do silly dances after that and joke dances that would, you know, make people laugh and they'd tell me to stop dancing and I would never get busted for quote unquote dancing like a girl again. But over the years, I learned masculine behaviors. I'd watch other men, how they behaved. How can I not get picked on for not being manly enough, quote unquote, being manly enough? So unfortunately, it was a skill I did not learn in high school. It wasn't until my mid-20s that I got really good at it. And by then, I was muscular and, and looked kind of like a, like a badass biker, just without a bike. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of the look that I was rocking at the time. And it it worked, you know, people were buying it, you know, I'd taken martial arts, got all bulked up, did the man thing as best I could, but it was exhausting. It's this thing that I'm always having to invest all this energy in and be very conscious how I'm sitting and not to tilt my head to the side and act assertive and masculine mannerisms and behaviors all the time. Got to be very careful about that. Right. So coming out as a cross dress in 2008, I shaved my beard uh, and she did my makeup for the first time and didn't, you know, I was very, disappointed with how I turned out. I was excited and I saw myself in the mirror and it was a big letdown, but it still felt good. You know, for the first time in my life, I had a face and was wearing clothes that fit. And here's this woman, the love of my life, and she's here with me. And it was just so amazing. I forgot to add in there, there were a few times, several times throughout our marriage prior to my coming out as a cross-dresser in 2008, that my wife had a little bit of kink to her. She would sometimes ask me to wear her clothes when we were making love, of course. <laughs> yeah, like, wow, that just intensified things to... When I was communicating with other people online about this, I remember trying to come up with words, and the best I could come up with was describing it as a beautiful insanity. It's best. It was just a, a beautiful insanity. It would be the mm. feeling of making love 
feeling feminine like that with my wife. And it was something she was always in control of. I could not initiate it. I always had to wait till she would want that. Um, but I was grateful for what I got and um, still secretly dressing in girl clothes on my own when she wasn't aware and came out right. in 2008. So finally, she knew. And very shortly after that, I went online and I was communicating with the other cross-dressers on crossdressers.com. I don't know if uh, you ever spent time there, but that's where I was trying to interact with other cross-dressers in 2009 and learning more about them and myself. And I was a little different than they were, but I felt a little camaraderie with some of them. But they were describing cross-dressing as, you know, a thing they did. It was a hobby or maybe it was right. their alter ego. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm like, well, actually, I was thinking my alter ego is the stupid man facade that, yeah. I, that I put <laughs> on. You know, that's... Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's my alter ego. Like when I'm like this, I feel like me. This is this is who I am. I even remember right. my wife commenting the first day that I was ever in makeup. She said uh, at the end of the evening, she said, I have never seen you smile so much in your life. And mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, it's the first time I ever really f started to feel like myself in my life. Because before that, I was headless. I'd look at myself in the mirror, but only ever from the neck down. And I used to have really hairy legs, and that was uncomfortable and gross. It's like, you're great. Look at me. I'm Sasquatch in a skirt. Yuck. Right, right. Yeah. So, but I, I started shaving my legs in 2006, two years before I came out to her. I even wrote about that on my blog, a little thing. I, I wanted to shave my legs, so I pretended to have really, really itchy legs. And uh, <laughs> over time, she actually said, well, it's just so itchy. Why don't you try shaving them? Like, oh my God, I mean, that's weird, isn't it? Should I really do that? Come on, twist my arm, twist my arm. Yes, good, she twisted my arm. All right, I guess I'll do this and be kind of weird. And I loved it. And I'm now out to my wife and that was going good, but I didn't like when I had to go back to being a boy afterwards. That was always uncomfortable and it was such a big letdown. I was so high on life when I got to be feminine and dressed like a girl, looking like a girl, feeling like a girl as most best I could. I loved that and I hated going back to being a boy. And other cross-dressers online were, were describing their experiences. So, you know, they were like, yeah, Halloween is the cross-dressing um, holiday. Um, they get to go out in public and be a girl, you know, dress like a girl. I'm like thinking, but I'm not a costume. This is me. I'd only ever go out on Halloween, you know, maybe mm -hmm. as a witch or nurse, I don't know, whatever. Like something that's more costumey because being me is not a costume. And it took a few more years. I, I was realizing I was very different. You know, I started my I started blogging, I think, wow, it's about 10 years ago this month. I think it was in March 2009. So anniversary-ish going on now. Yeah, happy wanted, anniversary. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I wanted to empower other cross-dressers. There's a lot of shame involved. You know, when you said you're um, going to talk about the whole purging thing, I was reading accounts of these other cross-dressers being very embarrassed and purging and getting rid of all their the girl stuff and trying to be a man and, and like that was always like i feel like a little bit traumatized by reading some of their experiences because yeah. i knew like i could never do that in fact i tried to get rid of some of my female clothing right before getting married i was trying to let things go one garment at a time and i let a few of them go and i started to feel like it was scary i'm like i felt less like less like myself. It was just, I couldn't do it, you know? So that was my only experience with attempting to purge is I try to get rid of things one at a time and I couldn't. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're purging. I'm like, I could never do that. But I, I didn't, you know, again, I didn't feel like I was a cross-dresser or something was, I must be a cross-dresser because, you know, I male-bodied and I liked 
dress like a girl, look like a girl, feel like a girl. So I guess that makes me a cross-dresser. What else could I be? (laughs) I had brief contact with other, at the time, self-described transsexuals, what we'd now call trans women, Mm -hmm. share their experience with me. And they said from the time they were a child, they knew they were a girl. And that's how they worded it. Something like, I knew I was a girl from the time I was a child. And that's the difference between a cross-dresser and a trans. I'm going to use today's terminology cross-dresser and a transgender woman. So I'm like, well, their experience and they knew from the time they were young and well, I guess that makes me just a cross-dresser, not anything more than that, you know, as in a trans woman or anything. Um, because obviously I'd heard from them and their experience differed from mine. So that must be how it works. In 2013, after a lot more soul searching and I did uh, some research online, I went to a transgender support group in Syracuse, New York. I live in Rochester, so Syracuse is about an hour and a half give or take, drive from Rochester. I went to Syracuse instead of local uh, support groups because I thought at the time they had their act a little bit more together. So mm-hmm. I went there and immediately I, you know, I met transgender women, trans men, and a whole new thing I had never knew even existed, non-binary people, genderqueer people, as they were self-described. But I got them and they got me immediately. And that's when it dawned on me. I'm like, holy cow, I'm, I'm not a cross-dressing man. I'm a I'm a transgender woman. And that was really scary because I was, you know, the whole reason I kept searching and was looking into these things is I started to get into a really dark place in my life. It was great for a time just dressing, you know, here in my house alone. And I went out in public a few times like that. Mm -hmm. Magical experience. I went to my 20 year high school reunion and uh, was a really beautiful, magical experience. And I also had a really terrifying experience at one of the local malls when I got referred to as the F word. I'm going to say the word. I'm pretty sure your listeners have heard it. So they they said uh, very clearly, there goes a faggot uh, very clearly so that they could make sure that I heard them say that. And, you know, they weren't looking at me grinning or chuckling. That was uh, a pretty distinct look. And I will never forget it as long as I live. This is in 2009, I think, September-ish, 2009. And it was the first time I truly recognized the look of hatred. If you're ever looked at with pure hatred, it's a look you don't forget and a look you, you recognize immediately. And I was terrified they were going to jump me and beat me into a pulp. And no one is going to come to my rescue because they just did society a favor by, you know, destroying this this quote-unquote, mentally ill, pervert, whatever society was going to think of me. And it was just a terrifying experience. And and nothing happened. I I got out of there and they didn't didn't attack me or anything. I was just terrified. And I was afraid to go out into public again for a long time after that. Mm. But to to jump to to 2013 again, my self-realization as a transgender woman, and I kept going back to the support group every week, uh, or every other week, it was every other week they would do it. And they would say, Gabrielle, have you come out to your wife yet? Have you come out to your wife yet? And I didn't want to. I didn't want to come out to her because I was scared. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I get a little choked up here. I don't. I'm, no, I'm that's so totally vain. okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm so. Here's what's going on, though. Like, I'm so vain. I don't want to mess my makeup up. <laughs> I, okay, you see I'm my sorry. picture. No, don't apologize. Um, you see my. <laughs> if you see my picture, you know I wear. It's my trademark black thick eyeliner, and uh, I cake it on there quite unapologetically. 
So if you're not familiar mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. what I look like, listeners, uh, hearing my voice right now, and you don't know what mm-hmm. I look like, pause the podcast. Gorgeous, by the way, guys. Oh my God, thank <laughs> you. I love you. You're so sweet. Thank you. Well, it would help if you didn't, if it wasn't true, because uh, you're really, you know, you that's the thing me? about, well, I'll talk about that later, but like, you're gonna yeah. You're going to make me cry again. I, I mean, in a good way. <laughs> no, it means a lot because I, I, I guess I have self-image issues, which I guess it's not uncommon. And don't we all, though? I mean, that's also why I created Cross Yas. I mean, it's supposed to be supportive for people. I've gotten already tons of messages on Instagram and a couple on Facebook of just saying, hey, your podcast has helped me a lot, and I really like listening to you, and it just makes me want to make better content and talk to really great guests like yourself, because what you're talking about is amazing. And it'll probably resonate a lot with the listeners which is great as a medium. I mean, I just wanted to do this because there's no really good podcast out there that talk about cross-dressing. Because, yeah, there's really not. I mean, there's there's a few transgender-themed podcasts out there. One of them that I was following for a while, they they kind of, um, what's it called? Uh, pod, pod rot? Podcast rot, I guess the name. Like when you do a podcast for a while and, and over time, it just it becomes cumbersome or whatever. Maybe you just get busy with life. Anyways, uh, it was called Transition Transmission. I don't know if you were familiar with it. They, uh, three trans women did a, uh, AKA the transgender trio. I loved what they were doing. In fact, I was even a guest on two or three other episodes and I loved it because they were really super nerdy and, and weird too. I mean, when I say weird, I mean that in a, in a pot, if I Aren't think something is weird, that's, that's a, a term of endearment. That's a positive. Like I like weird mm-hmm. a lot. I'm, I'm drawn to weird and they were nerdy and weird and didn't just talk about transgender stuff. They talked about nerdy geeky things. And I loved that. It really humanized things to me. But anyways, yeah, I, w- <laughs> I want to talk about that too. Cause I'm pretty nerdy. Like I play magic, not that saying magic isn't nerdy and I play like games and stuff and watch nerdy sci-fi stuff. But yeah, I'm, I'm a big, I'm, well, I'm nerdy too. And I'm very unapologetic. I mean, next to like hardcore, like if you want to talk about geekdom, next to hardcore geeks, I'm more of a lightweight and uh, mm. got great respect for the hardcore geeks, but uh, I am into nerdy geeky things and that's me and I'm unapologetic. And if it makes people not want to be around me or think I'm weird, good. Thank you. Thank you for signaling yeah. to me you're not worthy of my time. I can move <laughs> on to other things. So I liked what they were doing, but long story, I got side tangent. Didn't mean to go on a side yeah, tangent sorry. there. No, that's my thing. I do that a lot. And uh, it's one of those things that I try not to do because it gets me into trouble. As, as a public speaker, it gets me into trouble sometimes because I dare to do it. You've got all morning. I've got to like two or three in the morning oh. here. And, I, and if, if this becomes a two or three episode pot, like thing, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, like, I'm totally open. Yeah. What do you call it? I'm we'll open. just have to like to be continued. Like yeah. ended at a cliffhanger part just to piss everybody For off sure. like those yeah. old TV shows to be continued. Like, like no, that. I was so into this. Don't make me wait another week, you idiots. And you're already uh, things you're talking about have been uh, even I'm like ooh like I can't even talk because I'm like wait what else what what else happened or what oh yeah and, yeah well here's you know I I'm sharing my story frequently as a public speaker so it's something that I'm used to doing and there's a bunch of different versions by versions I mean there's like long form short form. Uh, there, if I'm right. talking to teenagers, I'll concentrate on my teenagers more. If I'm talking to an adult audience, of course, I'm going to concentrate on that more and so on. So it's mm-hmm. something that I'm fairly used to doing and um, have a lot of things ready to pull out. Um, I'm not sure. as articulate with everything and I'm very commonly go off on side tangents because I'm like, you know, ADD, a squirrel, you know. So, <laughs> what? A squirrel? No, like a squirrel. <laughs> 
and uh, then you know I keep branching off into other places and all of a sudden i'm talking about bowling on the starship enterprise i'm like wait where did that come from i'm here to talk about this other thing sorry yeah so uh, well, well well let's get back to you said 2013 2013 i was self-realizing as a transgender woman going to these support meetings and they were encouraging me it gets like gabrielle you got to come out to your wife it's not fair to her and mm-hmm. I had, I mean, I had already written on my, my blog slash website about like how to come out to your wife if you're a crossdresser. And one of the things that I, because I try to be very thoughtful and about the whole thing, like, hey, you have the right to, to do what you uh, want to do and to be who you are. And your wife has the right to reject you for it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's a thing. And I was terrified that I might be in that camp. I was like, felt like I already had my cake and eat it too as a crossdresser because I'd heard so many, you know, other crossdressers, their wives gave them the ultimatum, either you stop doing this or I will divorce you and take away the kids and you'll never see them again. And a lot of crossdressers would stop after that. You know, they'd, they'd purge and do what they needed to do so that they wouldn't lose their wife and kids. And so I was now really worried. Crossdressing is okay, but how is the... So I'm basically going to come out to my wife a second time now. And it took a few months, and I did it. I want to say it was November 16th. It would have been a Saturday, 16th or 18th, whatever it was a Saturday. And it was after one of the support group meetings in Syracuse, and I drove home, and I what I had to do and I was scared and um, I my wife had already gone to bed and you know so they do the support group meetings in the evening it was late and she'd already gone to bed and I asked her if we could talk and I said uh, I'm, I'm not a crossdresser I thought I was a crossdresser I'm, I'm a transgender woman and I, I need to start transitioning and I need to Okay, I'm going to slow down. I'm trying not to cry because I really don't no want to. If I mess up my eye makeup, there's still things I got to do, and I don't want to have to spend too much long <laughs> in that makeup mirror again. So well, I apologize. I'm going to pause for a moment, try to pull it back. To... And it's no waterproof eye it makeup, okay? It's waterproof, but not, not so much from when the water's coming from the inside. All right. <laughs> okay, I think I pulled it back together enough. So I'm coming out to her as a transgender woman and explaining to her I need to start transitioning. I need to start taking baby steps to living my life authentically. And I explained to her what that meant. I, I, I need to start living as a woman and not just doing this like mostly behind closed doors, except for every once in a while with careful planning, you know, going out somewhere. She went out with me sympathetically a couple of times. And uh, I need to learn how to live life like this. And I was terrified because, you know, I, I did not pass back then. I, I don't pass now. We'll get into that. Uh, yeah, okay. We'll do Whoa. the passing chat in a little bit. Yeah. There's, a lot, there's a lot of emphasis put on that. Of, like, should you or shouldn't you? And the arguments oh, yeah. for not oh, passing yeah. and the arguments why you need mm-hmm. to pass and quote unquote need to pass and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, we'll do that. I was telling her these things and I was crying just like, Niagara Falls. I mean, the waterworks are just going on. And so that was before I learned about the wonders of waterproof makeup. So my, you know, my makeup was doing like this gothic looking spider webby thing all over my face. <laughs> and two hearts, two hearts broke that day. And um, it, it was, you know, because I'm terrified, like, sh- what if she leaves me? She's the love of my life. Right. She is my soulmate. I can't 
live without mm. this amazing woman in my life. And she's been so supportive during my, you know, cross-dressing and everything and other problems that I've had in my life. And, and what about going out? You know, I still remember those guys yeah. looking at me like that, referring to me as a faggot and how terrifying that was. Like, I believed I'm going to, like I said, I believed they were going to attack me and I'm either going to be dead or permanently injured and looked at as some freak or pervert or mentally ill person. So I'm like, how do I do this now? Like, how do I, how do I go grocery shopping and put gas in my car without people being mean and terrible to me? And it was also scary. And what if I lose my marriage? So I delivered the news and for a time period after that, she would still refer to me as a cross-dresser and I would correct her as like, no, I'm, I'm a transgender woman. And, you know, I was still mostly doing the man thing, quote unquote man thing at the time, because uh, it was, you know, in middle age, there's consequence. I'm not Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah. I can't just like flip a yeah. switch and, right. you know, right. no consequences because I'm financially secure and I got all the money I need for all the corrective mm-hmm. surgeries and hormones. I could mm-hmm. not do that. And so I have to piecemeal things and it's taking baby steps. And, you know, I start having electrolysis done on my face, permanent facial hair removal. By the way, on that, I, I heard another, I've listened to, I think, three or four of your shows, the more recent ones. Mm-hmm. Love, love, love what you're doing. And I got to <laughs> wow. say, thank you, thank you, thank you for rising to the challenge for doing this. As I was saying before, there were some transgender themed podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard a few of them. There was only one that I really liked. It was the one I already brought up. But I don't recall ever hearing or knowing of a specifically cross-dressing themed podcast. Not not that you're going to confine it to that. I know you've already broadened right. it, which I think is really smart to do. Um, that's, mm-hmm. that's going to serve not only you as a learning experience for yourself, but also your audience as well. It'll open up to yeah. a greater audience and be of more service to that audience. But I, I digress. I was going to say is you'll pardon me because now my nose is running and I'm wiping it, but I forgot this is audio. <laughs> you can't see me. I got it in there. I'm digging. I'm digging. No, I'm, I'm being silly. Okay, I gotta stop. It's going to put ugly visuals on people's heads. So, uh, so I can't, yeah, I get weird sense of humor. I don't know either. I'm sorry or you're welcome, whichever side of that you fall on. So I uh, lost my train again. If you could help me get this thing back on the rails. So you were saying, you were saying, yeah, sorry. The electrolysis. Electrolysis, permanent facial hair removal. And I wanted to say that I did a lot of homework before that. Laser was newer, so I thought it would be better. And I had, uh, you know, that was the thing that I had seen advertised more as laser, not laser surgery, laser hair removal. I think I got, yeah, on your note, I got laser hair removal on my chin and I got like five or six treatments and it was... Like, apparently you're supposed to keep going. So I, I only wanted to do, like, to, to see how it looked like. And it worked well. And then I stopped going. And my hair grew out longer. Yeah, I, I was, was going to get to that. So crazy. here's the Sorry, thing. Sorry, No, yeah. I did a lot of research. And I knew electrolysis was crazy expensive. And lasers seemed a little less expensive. And there were I, I was looking on Amazon and other websites. There were things you could buy your own laser, um, whatever they're called, the laser hair removal kits to, to remove facial hair or just body hair, I should say, I was going to use it to remove facial hair. The downside for me is I had, you know, my facial hair was, you know, I have red and brown and, you know, I'm getting older. So some of it was white and it works, but, and I have really pale skin. So that that's in my favor for laser hair removal, but it works best with dark hair. And after doing a lot of research, I read enough accounts that whatever you start with laser, you're going to finish with electrolysis. 
So I'm like, uh-huh. let me just cut to the chase. I don't want to pay for this stuff twice. Let me cut to the chase. I started getting electrolysis done in 2014, and it was very expensive, very painful, and I couldn't do it as often as I wanted to. And it took, you know, I went to three different electrologists over time. It took me a while to find one that was really good. The one I have now is amazing. I love her so much. I'm going to give her a little plug if you don't mind. Um, no, her name's Patty. She operates in the Rochester area at Silky Smooth. Can't say that right. Silky Smooth Electrolysis. <laughs> uh, it's in Webster, New York. Her uh, shop is in Webster, New York. She operates out of, she has her um, studio in her basement. It is so beautiful. She has a beautiful house and home. She has a beautiful studio. It's very spacious, very clean. In fact, she's a clean freak, which is good. You want that when you're having mm-hmm. this kind of mm-hmm. in- intimate work being done. So all right, I'm going to stop because I love Patty. We become friends and I love her so much and she's hey. been so cool and I, I just love her. She's trans friendly. She works mostly with cisgender women, but totally transgender friendly. So if you're in the Rochester area or reasonable drive, um, get in touch with Patty at Silky Smooth Electrolysis. This is not a paid endorsement. Uh, I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> Hi, uh, Patty. Hope you listen. Hope she's listening. No, to the- I know. I know. I'm going to tell her I'm going to be all excited because I go back for another session on, oh, crap, mm-hmm. Monday, Monday. So oh, the, the downside is I got to not shave. I'm glad I remember oh. that because now I got to not shave until <laughs> after that session because when you go for electrolysis, you have to have a little bit of stubble. And um, mm-hmm. cool thing is I have like enough of it's been cleared away. That oh, By the way, Patty was amazing. Uh, if you go to the uh, electrologist who's not as skilled, you can end up with scarring, permanent scarring. Uh, oh. They might end up not getting the insertion correctly because the way electrolysis works is they have the stylus, the little probe-like thing and they stick it into your hair follicle. That's why you got to have stubble so they can kind of see the direction your hair is growing. They stick it in there and they light it up with electricity and they cauterize the hair follicle. And then they take tweezers and pull out uh, the, the, the little stubble. Hopefully the whole shaft will come along with it. That's how you know that's a, that's a dead soldier. That one's not coming back. It can be painful, but Patty has the magic touch. She, like, I almost don't even feel any discomfort most of the time areas like right under the nose and right under the lower lip those are really sensitive but other than that she's just amazing and if you go to the wrong electrologist you will probably have some scarring or they they do the insertion incorrectly where they'll literally like miss the follicle and basically put a hole in your skin and then zap you there and you're going to get scarring over you know that'll scar so I, i did experience some scarring and that's why i kept looking for a different electrologist so and when you get the one that's really good, you want to stick with her. And uh, if you're lucky enough to have one like Patty, you know, good luck if you're going to try and book Patty. She books many months in advance because she's good and people know it. Mm. But definitely don't settle for the wrong electrologist because you're going to end up with scarring and that's going to be permanent. And you're going to be looking at that in the mirror and you don't want that. So electrolysis, in my opinion, and then all the research that I've done, uh, is the way to go. And if you have, and I know some people who've had decent results with lasers. So if it does work for you, do that. But and just what you said is when you had laser and then it grew back thicker, that's a thing that I also learned about that that can happen. And you you might be doing yourself a disservice. Now, everyone's physiology is different. So you're going to hear stories of people genuinely having good laser hair removal experiences. Oh, yeah. So that's the thing. But I like to you, just based on what you just shared with me, I'm going to recommend just draw a line. Don't do any more laser. If you want to remove it, electrolysis is the way to go. And I am about 
I'd say 12, I think 11 or $12,000 into my treatment at this point that started in early mm -hmm. 2014. Um, I was going twice a month for a while and then I ran out of money. Now I'm going about once every five weeks. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Well, I, back to 2013. Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say at this point, I, I have like no five o'clock shadow left, just working on a couple areas in the lucky. lip and it's almost time so lucky. Now. So, but it's a thing that most like generally a transgender woman might do that. Cross-dressers typically don't because, mm -hmm. you know, cross-dressers typically do identify as a man and usually happy to be a man. However, there's a lot of like, am I really a cross-dresser? Is there something else going on? I know in my oh, yeah. case, prior to self-realizing as a trans woman in 2013, I was so much more comfortable thinking of myself as a cross-dresser because it's so easy to go out into public presenting as a man, mm -hmm. you know, with male-bodied and male features. I'm invisible. Nobody pays attention to me. I'm just another guy and no one's going to call me right. bad words or give me a hard time or pick a fight with me. It's easy and safe. And it was really scary when I realized that's not the case. And you also have society and culture, you know, all the social conditioning and all the social programming. You're very conditioned from a young age. Oh, yeah. Men don't cry. Boys, you know, real man this, real man that. You better buck up right. and be a man, you know. You're not a real man if dot, 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 fill in whatever stupid cliche. And mm -hmm. so, and that gets in your head when you hear that, you know, a repeated lie takes on the illusion of truth. And because it's such a cultural thing, especially in this society, it's such a cultural thing, this needing to be perceived as masculine and enforcing that rule with other men. So, or other male-bodied people, whatever, however you want to say that. Right. So I think it can be very confusing for a lot of people. They, they lose sight of who they are. And like me, I lost sight of who I knew myself to be at the age of three. Didn't have the words, but I knew myself at the age of three. And then it got buried beneath layers and layers of all that social conditioning. And as I got older and was finally starting you know, to talk about passing, I was passing as a man and people were buying it in my mid-20s. That would be the mid-90s. But I was so miserable. Finally, I'm being accepted as a man and not getting challenged on it all the time. And I was so miserable and felt like empty. And uh, that's when the, the soul searching took me to what's going on with my gender identity. So come out to my wife as a trans woman, that was difficult for her. And, and the more steps that I was taking to transition and to spend more and more of my time living as a woman, you know, as my authentic self, as I like to, I don't like to say living as a woman. I mean, I will say that sometimes because people kind of know what that means, but I prefer to say living as my authentic self because what does it mean to live as a woman? There is no definition for that. You ask 200 women, you're going to get 200 answers. Very subjective right. thing. So, as I was doing more and more of that, it was becoming difficult for her, and I felt us growing apart, and I was, um, I was worried about that. I was going to be a, you know, one of these, like, no, 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 we lasted through the cross-dressing thing, and in fact, that even made our marriage stronger for a time. I'm going to not lose my marriage. I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to write a book and go on tour. I'm going to tell people how to transition <laughs> successfully without losing the relationships in your life, you know, because I have a big ego, and I'm full of myself. And when I say that, yeah. I do have a big ego, and I just own it because it's there. And I don't mean I have a big ego is, and I think I'm better than people. It's that I think that I can do, like, like change the world all my own. And I know that that's not the reality, but sometimes I'm full of myself and I forget that. <laughs> I, am, I am not a soloist changing the world with my beautiful song. I am a voice in, a, in an always growing choir, changing the world collectively. I am grateful and happy to be a voice in that choir. So right. marriage not going good and I'm 
spending more and more time as my authentic self and, you know, shopping and running errands and doing everything I could possibly do like this. But when and this was 2014, 2014, this is, this is like, like I'm, I'm now I, I probably should have put more year markers in there. Over the years moving through 2014, 2015, 2016. Okay. I'm starting to put my foot like because when her family would come over for a family event, my options were to present as a man or disappear. And over time, I became the invisible spouse to her family because she didn't, I mm-hmm. started to put my foot down. I'm like, no, if I'm going out, I'm going to go out as me. I'm, I'm not going to keep, I can't keep doing that. I, I hate the way that makes me feel. I'm going to be me. I'm going to do me. We're going to go out to dinner and I'm going to be me. And then she, no, I'm not going out to dinner with you like that. Because it was embarrassing to her. She she needed a masculine man in her life. That was very, you know, as part of who she is. She identifies as a straight cisgender woman and she needs that man to be with. That's what she wants. And she's allowed that. I don't look at someone, I don't, I don't look at her as a jerk for not being attracted to me anymore. I get it. People like what they like. And sometimes love will last as you identify, find out who you are and love will last through that. And sometimes it doesn't because as I'm discovering myself, she's discovering I'm becoming less and less a person that she feels comfortable loving in that way. And I get it. Um, so I'm feeling our marriage not doing well, and I'm putting my foot down more and more. I need to be me. I need me. I can't keep doing that gender dysphoria and messing with me. That indescribable, uncomfortable feeling about your body, you know, gender dysphoria. I'm talking about the way one's body feels in regard to gender and those parts that are associated with gender. It's it's not uncommon for people to be self-conscious about the way they look. Maybe they feel ugly or they're too fat or too skinny or too tall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Maybe they think their nose is too big or funny looking. Those things are there. Sure, those can all eat away at your self-esteem and the, do I feel attractive mm-hmm. or not. However, gender dysphoria is an entirely different element. It's you can have gender dysphoria and still think you're too fat or too skinny, or yeah, you can still think, yeah, it's a, right. it's a, because to- people have all, you know, every time I try to explain it, people are like, oh, so it's like someone who's worried that they're overweight or has body dysmorphia. I'm like, no, 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 you can have body dysmorphia and gender dysphoria. They're not one and the same. Now, if you feel uncomfortable, like you feel unattractive, that can exacerbate your your gender dysphoria. But gender dysphoria is not simply feeling unattractive or anything like that. Gender dysphoria has to do with with the way your body is in regard to your gender and your your gender identity and your body parts, your reproductive anatomy. It's to this day, you know, 48 years old, I still can't explain what gender dysphoria feels like because you got nothing to compare it to. You don't have to break your arm to know it's going to hurt. But how do I describe this if you never experienced it? Because everyone always goes to, well, you just sound like you're, you know, feel ugly or something. Like, no, I do feel ugly a lot of times, but there's gender dysphoria on top of that. So I don't want to get too long winded into that, but there's, I wanted to make it clear that gender dysphoria is not body dysmorphia. Gender dysphoria is not, oh, I feel ugly because you can feel attractive and have gender dysphoria. Yeah. You can feel ugly and have gender dysphoria. It's, it's basically, it's, ba- it's basically not knowing who you are. Well, it's, and on top of that, it's feeling like ugly and yeah. like all that other stuff. It I, sucks. Know. I mean, the not knowing that's, that's part of the, the whole social conditioning thing. And, society yeah. and culture and that's where i get you know i went off on a side tangent about gender dysphoria i was trying to get to the what i call the onion okay if you envision mm-hmm. the onion so there you, there you are in the center you're born you're there in the center you, you're just you and you know who you are and you know you start to evolve and then society quote unquote teaches you who you are quote unquote teaches you 
who you are, teaches you how you're supposed to be, what is proper for people born with a vagina or people born in the penis. You're born with a penis, that means you're a boy, you're going to have the blue sign, it's a boy put out when you're born, you're going to like football and sports and short hair and rough and tumble. If you're a girl, you're going to like all things pink and Barbie dolls and easy bake ovens, and that's just how it works. All girls like pink and easy bake ovens and Barbie dolls. All boys like sports. That's all there is, right? I'm wink, wink. Of course, it does not work like that. But that's yeah. that's what's going on. You know, they assign you a gender based on your reproductive anatomy, and that's not that doesn't work. So all the layers, society conditioning you, telling you who you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to be, and then all, at the same time giving you all these mixed messages. Hey, be who you are. Oh no, 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 no. But not like that. That's not who you are. I will tell you who you are. So then you build up all these layers around who you are. So many people get lost in there. Like, where are they? Where is your authentic self? All the layers to your onion, you're gone in there somewhere. You got lost in there. And if you pull the camera back, like, let's not make this a cross-dressing thing or a transgender thing or an LGBTQ thing. Let's pull the camera back. This happens to everybody. Everybody experiences the same in relative terms, relative to region and uh, where you are in the, on the timeline, same social and cultural conditioning. Okay. And a lot of people lose themselves in there. And how many people live their entire lives never really being authentic? Again, mm -hmm. let's remove LGBTQ anything from this. How many people live their entire lives is this caricature that society turned them into that they believe that they become that they believe they are this person that they have become over the years because, you know, I'm doing the things society and culture says are right. And I'm supposed to be like this. So my family encouraged need to be like this. And my wife encouraged me to follow this career path. And these are the things that makes my tribe love me more. So I'm going to do this and know that this is right. A lot of people never find their true authentic self. And for many of us, it's too difficult. It becomes uh, too dark. To use a metaphor, you know, the, I'm a square peg and uh, society tried to force me through that round hole. The problem is when you try and force a square peg through a round hole, you, you ruin the square peg in the process. And, oh yeah, <laughs> you know you're made that way with with purpose, with intent. You know, I'm not religious. I am spiritual, but not not in a religious sense. I'm just going to say generically. You know, the unit you were designed to be who you are with an intent, with a purpose. You are not made to be a thing for society and culture and the people around you to turn into something completely different. That's not your purpose in life. Right. And and right. and I'm speaking to you in the universal sense. You know, you whom I'm speaking with right now, but you is in who who's listening to this. Deep down inside, you know who you are. It's even if it's swimming right below the surface of consciousness, even if it's still kind of stuck in that subconscious area, part of you knows that something's not right. If you've, you know, experiencing that, that cognitive dissonance between, I know this about me deep down, but I'm supposed to be like this, that society tells me. And, it, you know, because everyone's calling you or telling you a certain thing, I think, well, guess there must be something wrong with me because they're all saying I'm supposed to be like this. And so they must be right and I must be wrong. But the, the thing is, that's not how it works. Now, it might work like that. You know, sometimes people are right. Maybe you need an intervention. But for the most part, I think in general, like generalizations are dangerous. But for the most part, I think people tend to know who they are and get really confused when society, culture, family, friends, everybody says, no, you're this other thing. And I will show you love and affection if you embody these things and be this person that we want you to be that right. we know is right and correct and just and you know let the light shine on you when you are who we want you to be and we're just telling you this because we love you 
That is called, you know, that's a transactional relationship. When someone says, I will give you love and affection for these things you must do for me. Also called conditional love. There's another term that I like to use for conditional love. It's called manipulation because there is yeah. no such thing for as conditional yeah. love. And, you know, as I'm, I'm a hypocrite too, I've manipulated people. I think we've all, you we know, all you know, in our ways have done that. It's not like something, I think most people, when you're doing that, it's not about being evil or devious. It's like, you don't even realize you're being manipulative in that moment. You're not conscious of it in the moment. Mm -hmm. Doing like everyone else's. You're just trying to get things the way you think they're supposed to be or the way you want them to be. And that's right. what we're all doing, right? Don't we all want the world around us to be the way we want it to be? So yeah. all the side tangents here. So, well, I don't know. Hopefully this is still useful information. But No, it totally is. Uh, but so you, back to your wife. Are you guys still together after you told her that information? Did, um, how did she take it? What so, she yeah, it was difficult. And I felt, you know... Little by little, we were doing less things together. I, I loved her dearly, and I started to feel really guilty. And she was spending all her time alone in the house, um, watching TV, went out with her dog. And I felt, you know, I was out doing my thing. Um, I got, got into public speaking in 2013, and I was doing a lot of that, 40-plus um, speaking gigs a year. And uh, it was a lot of free work, and I was getting paid really well for some of these gigs. So I was transitioning my career, too, and off doing my thing and you know s staying overnight at places out of state sometimes and she's home alone and uh lonely and i started to feel really guilty and i told her to i told her she deserved to be happy and i love her with all my heart and if i'm not someone who makes her happy that she still deserves to be happy because i love her and my love for her is not just the kind you know like I love you as long as you do the things I want you to do. You know, it's not like, right. oh, well, I have this marriage certificate that says you're mine. No, I'm not playing that. I want her to be happy. She deserves to be happy. So yeah. I told her, if I don't make you happy, find someone who does. If you just need that, because, you know, she was not attracted to me. We, we stopped having sex in 2015. I was encouraging her to do that. And she felt that she was uncomfortable. She felt like she was cheating on me. She started to try to date other guys over time. She, she did try to see other guys and they weren't going well. You know, she would date other guys, not, no sparks or anything. And I believe that deep down inside in my heart, if you love someone, set them free. If they come back to you, they're yours. And maybe she'll realize that the person she felt, because she always told me from the very start, she loved that I was sensitive, that I wasn't afraid to show my full range of emotions and i was convinced she'd see that the person she fell in love with is still me i, I look different um i've lost a lot of weight i'm not muscular anymore i don't have facial hair i don't have those hairy legs anymore and i you basically changed who you yeah, were i well i'm trying to make my outside embody you know my my gender expression my self-expression match my gender identity um right. so and i wanted her to i was hoping she would realize she loved me so things Falling apart between us, uh, I put my foot down. I would not do anything more. She told me I had to leave the house when her family came over for Christmas, starting I think, in 2017, which I did. I went and saw a movie. And anyways, then uh, 2018, in uh, February 2018, I remember it was February 23rd, 2018, I did a Facebook Live video that I called Gabin with Gabby on a Friday night and uh, tried to facilitate a big group meeting and uh, get a lot of you know trans people talking about transgender issues and challenges. Didn't work out to be that, but got some good back and forth going. I chopped that into smaller videos over time. Those are the, a lot of those cat, like the cat filter videos. I don't know if you saw any of those on my Instagram. Yeah. Those are actually all recorded. Well, 
the ones that were I'm in, in front of the fireplace, those are all recorded on uh, February tw- 23rd, uh, 2018. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm making a fuss about that is that was the most beautiful day of 2018. I loved that. I felt beautiful that evening. I love the interaction I was having, mm-hmm. you know, people I was chatting with that, you know, I was having a really thoughtful discussion. And uh, I was able yeah. to take the, I took that video down because it was an hour and a half long. <laughs> uh, and I chopped it into <laughs> these, you know, more concise bits that I thought people might find more value in. And uh, yeah. so 20, uh, February 23rd is beautiful. And on February 24th, she was going to go on a date with a man she knew many years ago. And she was nervous. And I was trying to encourage her. It's like, don't be nervous. It's going to be okay. Because yeah, and I knew she was going to be dating and I wanted her to feel comfortable doing that. And uh, she came home that day. Uh, she came home different. And I, I felt her different. And she let me know that she fell in love with this man on the first date. And it took, it took a while. I, wanted, I don't know if it was a week, two weeks. It took a little while for it to really fully sink in how much mm. my life was about to change. So uh, let's fast forward to now. Lots of crying, lots of tears. I mean, she kicked me out of her bedroom back in 2017. I was no longer allowed to sleep in the same room with her. Because mm. she didn't want to sleep with a woman. She wants to sleep with a man. And, and you know what? She's allowed to. It's, she's she's allowed, allowed to do that. She's allowed. Yeah. So we're going through divorce now. Uh, mm. And we still live together. So like, how yeah. does that work? Yeah, you know, she's yeah. in love with this other man. <laughs> and we're still living together. Well, it's, yeah. it's not comfortable. It's very uncomfortable. It's, it's a thing we had to do because for financial reasons, the man she's living with, you know, he's, he's got his own house. He's got kids and everything. Uh, most of them are grown. He's like her age, basically. And they knew each other okay. back in grade school. So the, the good news is she is in a, a loving, healthy relationship with this man. And I stopped feeling guilty about her being alone all the time. And I'm going okay. to wipe my nose again. So sorry if that changes the way my words sound for a <laughs> no, moment. Okay. Little, little runny nose here. Oh, sorry. And so that she, I'm, I'm grateful for that, that she is in love with this man. And uh, it hurt because she fell in love with this guy really hard, really quick. Within a week or two, she was already more in love with this man than she ever was with me. And the 27 years that we spent together, mm-hmm. 23 of which in marriage. So that hurt a lot. And we had gone through so many things together like almost three decades and like that hurts and i've been grieving for the better part of uh 2018 into this year you know and i i had my dog there with me and he was really helpful to me and he he died a few weeks ago so so sorry yeah thank you and oh she's home i thought she wasn't coming home hi that was just part one of our talk. And yes, that was Gabrielle's ex-wife entering the door while we were recording our podcast. And no, that was not planned that Gabrielle's ex-wife was going to enter at that exact moment. But you'll want to tune into next week for part two of our talk because it's wild. Or not. But you'll have to wait and see. So to be continued. Gabriella revealed a lot in this episode. As you can already tell, she's definitely a motivational speaker. I mean, hearing her talk again makes me want to do more. She's a great resource for cross-dressers and trans people, and I hope you learned something about her with this week's episode. And also, don't forget to check out Gabriella's website, mycdlife.com, for even more information. But again, tune into next week to hear more about what happened in part two of my talk with Gabriella Hermosa. But that's it for this week. I hope the rest of your week is a fun one. And remember, as always, keep it fresh, stay blessed, and remember, you're gorgeous.
again, guys, I am not here to diagnose or treat anything, but I'm here to offer my story. I hope that in turn, you learn more about me, learn more about yourself and about the world of cross-dressing.